Welcome to Cursed. Um, I'm Josh or Bones, and uh, I'm joined today by um, Mortellis, um, and I'm happy to have you on. Nice to be here. I'm very excited, as always. Confused, yeah. of course. I never <laughs> understand why anybody wants to talk to me, but. Um, well, I think, I don't know, we can get into that later, but I feel like, you know, death and dying is, is always going to get people's attention. Probably, probably true. I mean, it, it's it's something we're simultaneously terrified of and curious about. Yes, and I, I feel like the curiosity stems from that um, not knowing. I mean, I guess there's some, you know, people that are like, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen, but you're still afraid of it. Um, and I think that curiosity and trying to learn about it is that human condition of trying to like quiet, like the fear <laughs> or break between being in death care and being a medium and having experienced a near-death experience i feel like a tour guide to death <laughs> which thing would you like to ask questions about i'm here for you <laughs> if you would tell everybody kind of about because you've got a book that just came out i do uh, which is what prompted you're, you're probably doing a little tour of guesting um here and there well, I'm doing the tour that one can do during a pandemic, which yeah. is mostly from my living room to my kitchen in my pajamas. That's kind of the, that's the tour. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, do I have to wear black? It come it came out on uh, February 8th uh, for Llewellyn. Very, very excited. I'd like to call it a life's work. It isn't. It was like a year of just like horrible working too hard and chasing twin babies and finishing a college degree mm -hmm. while also living in a pandemic so that was kind of <laughs> sounds like you have plenty of story so you have twins i do um i uh i had twins in 2018 they were born on my birthday uh, oh. <laughs> the three of us our birthday is a uh, beltane so that <laughs> very very like peak witchcraft that's <laughs> yeah um but yeah i would imagine because then they're like, what, two? Mm -hmm. um, they'll be three. So three? They'll be three, yeah. Oh, they'll be three, yes. Um, I would imagine that on top of everything else. And it's like, oh, let me just, you know, put the book together during all of this. Yes. So they were not quite a year old. And I, I you know, went to Mystic South, the last Mystic South that existed. So mm -hmm. sad to hear yesterday that it was officially canceled again for this year. So that was, that was oh. sad. But. Yeah, I've never been, but I've um, I've planned on it, and then pandemic happened um, because I started this podcast um, with the previous host end of twenty nineteen. Yeah, so I mean it's um, it's going on a year and a half, and um, so Mystic South was like, oh, you know, everybody like it would be cool to go to that, and then nope. <laughs> nope. Well, when it finally happens, we'll have to have a cup of cup of tea or something in the weird yeah. part of the night that people aren't sure if it's like still night or if it's morning because that's when I'm that's awake. Right. Yeah, I'm usually the the nocturnal one that um hangs out at weird hours or can't sleep or gets woken up at three. Um exactly. But yeah, I I had just had the twins and I'd gone to Mystic South and I sort I joke that I accosted a Llewellyn editor, like, make somebody write a book about this thing that makes me mad <laughs> and here i am i uh 
I'm happy to tell your listeners if they find a typo, it's probably a toddler's fault. They spent the whole time I was writing it, like slapping the keyboard and they yelling. were helping. <laughs> they were help. They were helping, doing their part. Yeah. So the book. Um, before we go into what that covers, um, your, um, uh, I guess all your uh, titles and stuff. You're uh, a mortician. I am. Well, as much as one can be right now. Um, I sort of graduated mortuary school and again went right into COVID-19. So ordinarily you finish mortuary school and you do your apprentice stuff and your licensing stuff and go on about your life. And I immediately went into the medical reserve court. Pandemic, yeah. Volunteer. So that's been kind of my thing for the last two years. It just being on call for whoever needs me and going here and there and just like it feels like having your whole life on pause. So yeah, that's, um, I can't even imagine, like, just coming out and being, like, into this is just, you know, kind of thrown to the wolves kind of thing. It, it's sort of hilarious, too, because, I mean, it's not like I was an unexperienced person, you know, the, sort of the trajectory of death care is you're doing it the whole time you're learning it, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're working, and, and it's been my life for a long time, but, you know, you you expect you're going to graduate and walk across and get your, your certificate or whatever, and go on and do all your stuff and be done. And it's like, no, your whole life is on pause. You'll do more work than you ever imagined for like two years and none of it will count <laughs> toward a single requirement that you need to live your life. So that's that's a fun challenge. Right, well, I mean, it's, you know, it is a different time. I mean, I work in healthcare, so it was like, you know, things got weird, things changed with that. Um, I mean, there's like a, a hole for all of these things. I don't know if that's just because, you know, there's healthcare hiring freezes and all this stuff. But um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing, I guess, to think about is like coming out of a, a, a trade or a school or program like that, you can't just pick up and start uh, apprenticing. Um, if that, is that the, the right term for it? It's sort of like a residency program. Residency, that's every, what I'm every state has one. So you know about that with like nurses and things, they do their residencies, they get their license, they go on. So we sort of went directly from school to uh, Department of Health and Human Services really needs you, we're scared. (laughs) Right. And it's like, I've probably done more work in the last two years than I ever would have imagined doing in any sort of apprenticeship or residency. And zero of it counts for any of my requirements. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully they make an exception, but we- like um, a lot of states did exceptions like that for nurses and things. They just like waived all their licensing requirements and stuff. And guess what? You're licensed now. Go to four or five. <laughs> right. That's that's sort of where we are. Which is you get like grandfathered in if you start in a pandemic. But um, you should. Yes. <laughs> you're also. Um, I was joking because I found out you're like a neighbor. Um, yeah. You're not far from us in Western North Carolina, and um, I just had. I'm in the process of editing, which will come out tomorrow, the week before that, but with old gods and they're like our neighbors too. So it's like, it's been a very Western North Carolina, like, um, uh, podcast month. So, um, can't complain though. There's a lot of cool people in this area. It's true. I, uh, I hope to find excuse to talk to Steve one day, other than just being on Facebook and never interacting, but I do (laughs) love the podcast. It's a great well, um, Steve, Steve is great. Um, and both of them are pretty down to earth. And um, I found out Cam was Hecatean, which is really cool. And um, 
she's like, oh yeah, Jake Richards is a fan and all that. So, you know, it's a small little pagan mm -hmm. Appalachian world, right? Well, your, your viewers or your listeners can't see, but I've got all my, I've got all my deity swag on right now. My <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't see this because this is on a, you know. I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, The Wicked and the Divine, which is a, a comic series that ended a couple years ago. And so for those listening, I have on a t-shirt, like listing all the deities from that, from that comic, so. And and now you're um, also a priestess of of Gardner and Wicca, yes. Third um, degree, run a teaching coven in big old Rutherford's in North Carolina. I pronounced it out, so clearly I'm not from here. I am though. <laughs> it's it's Rufton. Rufton, Rufton, um, depending on what part of the county you live in. Yeah, when we were talking about having you on, it's like, oh yeah, you do ghost hunting in a sense. I don't think you would probably. I say ghost hunting because I feel like that's what people are familiar with, but technically we're not hunting anything. We're, you know. I think it's even weirder when you're, I don't know, everybody experiences mediumship differently. And I really don't even like that word because it sort of implies something really passive where I prefer necromancy. It's a choice. I'm, I'm actively working toward whatever I'm doing, but when you're interacting with spirits in a really personal way, like just sort of, seeing them like you would other ordinary people or interacting with them like that it it feels funny to say you're hunting that would be like saying i'm going to hunt my friend at walmart it's like right <laughs> which to be fair you might have to do I'm going, I'm, going, I'm gonna go meet some undead people at this location that's what <laughs> and you can't say necromancy because i do want to like get into kind of um because that's a topic i've not touched on here before per se i mean i had Corey on and we talked about like um uh, corpse magic, um, which by extension would be Nick, but I feel like that's a loaded word for people. Uh, really when you say is. necromancy, you feel like, oh my God, you're, you know, bringing reanimating corpses and, um, you know, and that's like the, the, the PG stuff part of it. <laughs> um, but, mm -hmm. um, and actually I feel like more people are necromancers, uh, especially on the witchcraft path than they would would understand i mean or they would realize uh, because it's really just communication and working with um the dead but i would love to know like what how you describe it and how you're in your practice oh gosh that's a, such a big question and people ask me that often and i always feel like i'm saying the wrong thing um i feel like to harken back to what i said previously i feel like there's there's this polarity of life and death that we work with, particularly in crafts like Wicca, where you, you're working with two deities and, and I don't get into that whole like gendered nonsense. So that's sort of my vibe, life, death. That's, those are the poles I'm working with. Death and is genderless. Death is gender, it comes for everybody. So I feel like necromancy is anything that is inclined toward that magic of death the underworld, those descents, uh, that kind of stuff. I don't think there's really any such thing as good or bad or black or white or evil or benevolent magic. I think that if anything was ever neutral, it's it's death, right? Right. Yeah, the great equalizer. Right. If you if you look back into history, uh, anything pre thirteen hundreds, you're gonna find that necromancy was a word that was really broadly used to define most kinds of magic. You couldn't really separate those things out at all. And it really wasn't until Catholics got a hold of it that it became very digging corpses up and 
by the way, everything is demons somehow. Like it, they, they like to do that. They ruin everything. That's that's the problem. But right. <laughs> really, for me, it's about working with those energies. Yeah, as somebody who works with Hecate, I mean, I was familiar with that kind of early on. And um, whether you use the term medium or not, I'm sensitive in a in a sense where um, sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I really can't. But then I realize I have this ongoing interaction and communication with my spirit familiar. Um, and it's like, well, you know, you're still talking like it's like, you know, if you have one friend, um, you're as social as you're going to be with that one friend. And you have acquaintances and stuff, but usually she's kind of that go to between um, feeling and communicating within a place. Um, mm -hmm. And that could be because she's got control issues, maybe. But no, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, it's kind of like, I feel like it's that give or take. I've had people that um, say they're jealous of that, but that was a hard thing in the beginning before I knew what it was. And um, I feel like you know, I've got that, but there's so many different ways. So I'm, I've been familiar with that idea of necromancy in the, in the sense of it's not scary. It's not, um, anything, um, like grave robbing and, you know, zombies and all this shit, but, um, it's a cool aesthetic. Uh, but no, um, I mean, I guess we can count zombies. If you count me on like a Saturday morning, trying to get some right. caffeine in me, yeah. that's, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, that's something um, we'll have to do. A, I'll have to do a dedicated episode about um, and maybe have you back on and just like cover that. But um, I love that. Yeah, really what we want to talk about is um, the book, because I feel like I haven't got to read it yet. Um, and we tried to get you on here as it, I knew it just released like what, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I feel like it covers a bunch. I don't know all that it covers, of course. I haven't read it yet, but um it covers a lot of things. I think me, myself and others, whether you call yourself pagan, a witch, um, are kind of like, yeah, what do you do? Because it's, it's kind of that, I feel like the, um, that whole area has been, especially in this country, taken over by religion so much. And it's all like, I mean, from, well, what, what kind of tombstone do you want? Do you want uh, Jesus hands on it? Uh, do you want to cross on it? It's like, no. Uh, but your book deals with, I guess, um, the approach from what a, a pagan viewpoint of like, how to put all that in order. So I kind of this, I feel like I, once again, described this terribly. That's, <laughs> my, that's my catchphrase doing badly at saying stuff. Um, when I was a student, I, I was slapped pretty hard in the face with the um just sort of that cold reality of what the bias was and it was shocking to me to see how just sort of aggressively open people were about being anti-pagan and uh that was tough. I'm going to talk about a couple of years of just biting your tongue every minute, just trying to get through your day. And I realized sort of right away, there were a few problems. One, the stereotypes are so strong, not, not just how they viewed us as pagans, but how we view them as death care workers. We, we have this idea that every funeral director is just sort of like this 
this grifter who's spooky and out to you know rob your wallet like because that's how movies portray them right yes so we, we have we have perceptions and they have perceptions and they butt heads and on top of that it seemed to me like neither group had the language to communicate with the other so I really wanted to write something that would fill that gap S students in mortuary school get this book and I wish I had it next to me I would show it to you but it's supposed to teach us every kind of funeral service we could possibly encounter in our career. It's about, oh, a quarter of an inch thick. It's this tiny, tiny little pamphlet. It's this, this tiny thing. And uh, they're, they're all, you know, Abrahamic faiths and how they function along with like veteran services and Freemasonry rituals and that kind of stuff. It's, it's really big. There's like 10 things in it. And I'm staring at this and thinking, what the heck? Um, so I, I wanted to sit down and, and just create a book like that one that filled in all the gaps. So I've covered everything from front to back, what happens from the second you die to the second you're put in the ground or the crematory, sort of like what things happen to your body along the way? Where does it go? Who's handling it? What words can you use to interact with that experience? What does a modern funeral quote unquote really look like? What options do you have in terms of disposition? I really go into depth for all kinds of options outside of burial and cremation. Um, and then I start breaking it down into chapters for the customs and funerary rites of specific groups from British traditional Wicca to heathenry to Druidry to Discordianism to Thelema. It, it each has a very in-depth look. I even include uh, crypto-paganism, which has a group of rituals that are either Christian passing or secular passing, depending on what your family is like and what you feel like you have to do. And I really, I really wanted to, to give grief resources as well. So there are chapters about dealing with the loss of a child or the loss of a companion an animal or someone who's dying of a, a, a long-term illness or uh, suicide deaths or other unexpected deaths. So big big boring thick chunky resource <laughs> but i feel like it's a it's a good resource that um i've never seen before and i feel like a lot of people would benefit from because i mean that's not like i said it's not something common i mean just the fact like you're the book you got did not mention any of this it's like well, what else could there be there's these 10 um and you know, other than just like, well, dig a shallow hole and throw me out there. Like there's no, there's no good thing because it's, I don't know. I feel like it's, it, it reminds me of kind of like the idea, I guess now that's a little bit less, um, but like with a wedding, it's like, what church are you going to get married at? Especially in the South, you know, yeah. where, um, you know, what are you going to do that? What are you going to have with this? What are you going to do with that? And it's like, everything does have that, um, that Christian bias. Um, and of course, you know, your, your big three Abrahamic religions, you're going to get like, oh, well, I'm sure they know that, but it's like, I mean, this is going to be left on who knows, like, what if you're 
a solitary practitioner and you're the only one and your family has no idea. Um, I feel like a fear would be, and I don't know if that's just mine. I'm not saying I'm like solitary and I feel like my family would, would honor it depending on, but at the same time where it's like, are y'all going to do this though? Are y'all going to do this? Or are you going to like, um, try, are you going to be like, no, we can't do that. We're, we're having it done like this and that. And it, I think it's a fear, especially for those practitioners that are practitioners that don't, that have a super religious family that might be worried about like, well, are they going to really fulfill my wishes? Like I want them to, I need to be very specific, but where do you start? Yeah. And I think that was, that was a big thing for me as well. Like there's an entire chapter in there on advanced planning and just sort of figuring out who your legal next of kin is. It helps you sort out exactly who's in charge when you die right now. If I died this second, who would be in charge? And it helps you sort of figure out the ins and outs of how to make sure that's a person that you want it to be, how to legally arrange, um, talks a lot about wills and advanced directives and that sort of stuff but I really wanted it to be something that any person could pick up and find something they needed it's not just it's not just for paying folk trying to plan a funeral for someone else or for themselves it's it's for you know death care professionals who need a guide to what those services look like if death care folks are good at anything it's following instructions you put a guide in front of us we go okay we know what to do so I wanted it to look the way they need it to look. And there's a section in each chapter for a person who might be a guest. So you die, your family could pick that up and go to the guest section for the faith closest to you and go, okay, this is what they need of me. There are little solitary rituals in there for someone who might not be heathen, for example, but their friend was and they want to honor them in, in the correct way. Or, or things like that. And I, I wanted it to fill lots of needs. It sounds like it does. Um, because I, I guess that's something that before having you on, I was thinking it was for the, um, the pagan reader or the, but it, I mean, to have it directed to people like you that do what you do, uh, which would make sense because that's the perspective you're writing it from. But um, yeah, maybe one day it'll be included in the, um, optional textbooks for the program they're like well i believe just today i put a copy in the mail to a mortuary sciences program at a, a university uh, for their library so nice that's exactly where it's going and that's exactly what i hoped it would be but yeah i found myself thinking a lot at the time that i was writing it about my own spouse so I'm British traditional Wiccan, and that's an initiatory oath-bound craft, so he can't know anything about what I'm doing because he's not that. And uh, what happens if I die? How does he get to honor me in a way that makes sense to me and to him? And you and hand him, like, this this tome of, like, here it is, and he's like, wait, what? How does he explain that to a funeral home? How does he explain that to friends? How do guests at that funeral, like, what? They're probably sitting there thinking, what do I wear? How do I act? What do I do? So every single chapter really covers that stuff. Like, you know, your your British traditional friend just died. Here's here's what you need to know. When you're attending this kind of funeral and you're not that, you've never been there before. Here's what clothes to wear and here's what you can expect for meals and, and stuff. And 
I, I go into things like, hey, funeral director, here's the kind of casket they're going to want. And, you know, all the all the boring nitty gritty that we all we only I should stop calling it boring. It's really not. But it's detailed. <laughs> right. Um, it's like a textbook. Um, and, and not so much just a, you know, but uh, I mean, it sounds like it's a good it's a good resource depending on, I guess, or not depending on, but um, you, it sounds like you thought about so many different aspects of like, from friends to family to the directors to, to all this. And um, there's just a lot that I feel like I haven't even thought of before, which I'm not saying like, oh, I'm staring down. I mean, I'm 35. Um, but like, you know, and in the pandemic, I think too, kind of like, oh, shit, you know, I mean, there's so much, so much unexpected loss. Um, it's, you know, young people, it, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, of course, but um, it isn't like, well, I need to think of more about this when I get older. Um, if it's something that your, you know, your, your path is, that that's important to you. It's like, I, I, for one, know um, my family have no idea about kind of like what I would want and expect because they just, they have their one set it's like southern baptist like this is how we all gonna be buried and it don't matter how you bury or cremate me because jesus is coming back but um since he's not like what do you do <laughs> um so you get a copy of this book and you put a post-it note on the section that reflects your your wishes right. you give it <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah and you're right though i think a lot of people we really really rely on death care workers, funeral professionals to uh, know all those details and help us with them. But when you have this huge um, gap in your perspective, that's that sucks, right? Like you, you need an ally who understands your beliefs to help put those details in order for you. So that, that was, I felt an area that we really needed, we needed more. So I, I hope I was able to accomplish it. We'll see. We'll see if it. So were you basically just like, this book needs to exist. I'm going to do it. And y'all are going to hear me out. Or were you approached after doing something like that? Um, uh, say at Mystic there, South. Yeah, uh, like if they were like, oh. Oh, Lord. I, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> believe me. There, some people hate me for writing it. And, and some people love it. It's just... The uh, the the older set in the funeral industry, it's just like the older set anywhere they don't want anything to change. Right. So I think their thought process is, oh Lord, another another person with boobs wrote a book that we have to, to deal with and that's <laughs> And they're weird and um, they're not an old white guy. I don't know. Right. I don't yeah, think we're gonna like listen to them. It's like the books that have made the most uh, sort of change in the funeral industry, the Jessica Mitford's American Way of Death back in the 70s. Um, of course, Caitlin Doty with Smoke Gets In Your Eyes sort of stirred the pot a bit. And then now this one, will <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see if I'm the new thing to complain about. I've definitely gotten a few. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, it's just like, oh, they're out of uh, Ruffton and uh, shaking up the whole scene doing my best <laughs> my grandma used to tell me if you don't stir the pot once in a while the soup burns oh that's a good one because it does mm -hmm. um, were you a mortician and then i guess decided 
I'm, I'm trying to think of how to how to word this. Or I mean, I would assume which which came first? Were you, I guess, practicing with necromancy and all this stuff and thought, you know, I really want to. Of course, you came first because you said you. But you know, it's like, at what point were you like, no, this isn't good enough. Just working in in this, I'm gonna actually go do mortuary school and all the other stuff. I, I guess the funny way to put it is. I was dead to begin with. That's the that's the start of the story. There's your podcast episode title. That's <laughs> I, uh, I I had a an experience when I was a kid, and I was uh, I was dead for about eight minutes. I was in a coma oh for four days. I uh, I'll skip over the trauma story that leads up to it. I've told it on other podcasts that you should all go listen to and support. Um, but I had a really bad desperately bad experience and uh my good old baptist minister was was talking about the sin of suicide on sunday morning and <laughs> telling, telling us all how if you you know you kill yourself you don't get to see your family your church family anymore or anybody that loves you and you don't get to interact with them and i thought that sounds great right well, now do don't it. you feel better <laughs> <laughs> so so I went directly home that night and ate a bottle of heart pills that I had been told were not candy and not for eating. And uh, in reality, I was found on the floor the next morning and spent four days in a coma in Rutherford Hospital. And uh, during that, I uh, lost consciousness and had to be resuscitated. I was legally dead for about seven to eight minutes, give or take. But what happened during that time was that I had this entire experience of descending into the underworld. And from my perspective, I was there for years. Like I spent a lifetime there. Oh, wow. And then I woke up with this like bald doctor standing over me with their belt out. Like you do something like that again, I'll personally give you a spanking or whatever. And you know how people are in the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was my, that was that was what was happening to me at age five so um yeah it really affected who I was as a person and you were talking about interacting with your familiar spirit so you're using them sort of like a control spirit lots of mediums do that they have this intercessor oh. to help them communicate with the dead um but I don't need one of those at all um I don't know. I, I, I often joke that I'm still a little bit dead, sort of energetically. I'm somewhere in between. Yeah, I feel like you can't, that can't happen to you. You can't spend years in the underworld and then uh, not be a liminal creature when you come back. Right. So I, I sort of feel like some people describe interacting with the dead or other places like you're in the living room and the dead are in the kitchen, one room over from you you're aware of the wall you can shout to them and you might get a glimpse as they pass by the doorway right now if someone is standing in the doorway for you like you're familiar you can use them to shout a message in for you yeah right? you tell them to do something right um for me that is more like uh looking out a screen door i'm aware of the mesh but you know i'm just looking at the yard it's a little different for me yeah, it, uh, yeah, I, I can see that. It's not as a, the wall, as you put it, isn't as solid. Um, exactly. 
Yeah. And you don't have to. I likened it on this um, talking about working with spirits and, um, you know, not just hunting them, um, but uh, with the familiar as well, kind of like when you're wanting to work with spirits around you, whether that spirit's a place, whether it's um, the animist idea of, you know, plant spirits and animal spirits or human passed on spirits or like my familiar daemon spirits, all that. Um, it's kind of like sending a message. You could either go directly. If you can't reach that, you could send a letter. Somebody's got to carry that to you or you're making the phone call. It has to. So there's there's um, it's a very similar way, except just a, a closer idea of like, well, you've got um, that little bit of a quicker access. It doesn't mean that you can't because um, I think you've we've talked before when you said, you know, this isn't anything super special or anything super crazy like you know it's just it is what it is i mean it's yeah. a world like you know partitioned a little bit maybe but i always i always tell people and this is one of the reasons i don't use the word medium and i use necromancer instead because well i do necromancy and i don't have a better word for for being it a little bit dead cool. <laughs> but i feel like mediums are just really amazing psychics right you have your psychic senses, sight and hearing and smell and speech and so on, touch. Mm -hmm. And each one of those is a clairsentience, like clairaudience, clairvoyance and so on. A medium might have all those skills and your best mediums will. Some might be missing one or two. My, I have a, an uh, adult child and uh, she jokes that she's the Helen Keller of necromancy because she can, she can hear, but she can't see. Um, which that's a terrible and funny way to put it, but, but it's true. Like you, you right. might be missing a sense that you need and you have to learn to work around that. So like you, you have your familiar spirit and that helps you get around some of those roadblocks. Right. Right. I'm not a psychic at all. <laughs> I'm actually really terrible at that stuff. I'm just a little bit dead. So I can just, I can see them and interact with them as though we're in the same place. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think because I feel like there's there's plenty of, you know, movies and shit like this that, that that could probably give you an idea. But for me, I other than seeing like figures and things kind of out of the peripheral, which I think is very common for a lot of people, whether they realize it or not, um, you know, that shit gets stronger or we get closer to Solon. Um, and then I've like I can hear things I can. I've interacted with the dead um, in dreams that I don't even know if you could call them dreams, but a hundred percent, like it was actual interaction because, you know, there's have, no, huh? I have so many things to say to you right now. Oh <laughs> God. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, as far as the, um, the familiar, I, I just, I never realized it's kind of, it's like, she'll relay that message of, oh yeah, that, that tingling on your neck that's because there's somebody or something right here and then it's like this transfer of information from her to me of like could it be that and it's still very it's still very fuzzy it's something that i've tried to work with um strengthening with with her and stuff but um which i actually tried to use her to talk to communicate with bigfoots and stuff when we're out there um you know because we were going at it from a not flesh and blood specifically idea but more of like a nature spirit thing and um 
so yeah, I, you know, it's like, well, I don't know how many people are using their familiars to try to talk to Bigfoot, but um, why not, you know? You might be surprised. Lots right. of people use uh, daemons or control spirits as intercessors with spirits of place. So that would be, would fall into the same category. I, um, I talk about this in my book. There's a chapter in there called The Underworld. And I, I talk a bit about sort of my beliefs about the afterlife and, and where we go when we die and sort of what that experience was for me personally, but I talk about the fact that you know, we hear all these stories about like the tunnel and the light at the end of the tunnel and that sort of thing. That was not at all my experience, not even remotely. For me, it was falling away from light through what felt like water. It felt like falling through the floor, falling through the earth, and then floating downward forever, just sort of looking up at the nightlight in the hallway I died in until I couldn't see it anymore. And it's not air and it's not water, but it's, it's thick. And it's like ectoplasm. No. <laughs> this comfortable place that feels, it feels like a hug, you know, it's not, it was cold, but not uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was like laying in your bed in that place between awake and dreams, but but like the ceiling fan is hitting you just right. You know what I'm talking about? That kind right. of yeah. You know? And that was what that place was. This heavy, dark coolness. None of that light at the end of the tunnel stuff for me. I did not see any of that, but that's sort of what traveling in those spaces feels like. And it's what, it's what the world feels like to me now, sort of. Yeah. Like you, you pass through um, some kind of, it, it, but it never left you like you you know it's like i don't know how to describe it i i remember what i felt like as a person before i, I woke up in that hospital bed and it's just not the same you came like, back different to be the like air, the cemetery. air doesn't taste the same it's just like nothing feels the same and i've grown used to it and i rarely think about it anymore but it's like I don't know. It's like being comfortable on the couch and then getting up and trying to shake the pins and needles out of your leg. Like you, you know, something is different and mm -hmm. you just got to live with that now. Yeah. Like, like I said, pet cemetery, you came back different. Came, came back like, like messed up, like. Right. <laughs> came back wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, you know, you had five, you had five years to live um, in, in that. And I mean, you would be able to tell the difference, I guess, when you come back, like there, there's something that's like always tingly, so to speak. I remember feeling like I, I don't know. I remember leaving the hospital and feeling like I had, um, like when you have water on the ear or something like, like you, you just can't quite. Right. Sounds right. And for a long time, it felt like something was broken. And it especially felt that way when I realized I could just see things and, and hear things and the world was not the same to me anymore. But, but, um, and you weren't, I guess, for a lack of better word for this, cause I'm not sure, but like that sensitivity, you didn't have that before. No, not at all. Of? Okay. I wasn't it sure. Felt if that like was... a very, like a very, I see dead people kind of story, but not really like it just, it was like going to sleep and waking up in a different world. Yeah, you're like, I am dead people now. I'm not, I don't see them. Right. Um, so with um, with your practice, like, um, 
I guess uh, it, uh, you know, I'm not like, oh, how many years have you done it? But um, I'm sure that's you've got quite a bit of that under your belt. Um, I mean, if you just want to politely ask me how old I am, I've been doing this for 33 years. <laughs> but I was I, I was curious as to like what um, what part of that coming back different and being slightly dead like did that put you on this path or did what started to be like oh i can witchcraft is connected to this and i definitely want to i, I definitely want to encourage your listeners to go read the whole story in my book or, or listen to a different podcast where i went all into it i'll save you all that mess but um while i was while i was dead while i was in the underworld i met a deity and that's significant to me because my parents were in a fundamentalist cult and we didn't have TV or radio or books or anything. So this was an experience that was very much unlike anything in my world at the time. It wasn't tainted because you watched a cartoon or, yeah. Right. I, I always try and express that to people. Yes, that was, it was a raw experience, but um, it, it took me to adulthood and, you know, running away from home to discover that the deity that I met was the Morrigan. But I, I recognized the things that, that made her her, you know, when I woke up, you know, I knew, I knew the crows were important to me, for example, like I, mm -hmm. I began collecting black feathers. I had little jars full of them and all the, the little things that stick with you when you have an experience with a deity or a spirit, but she gave me a message and she told me that you know, I, I had to go back. I couldn't be dead, that I had to, I had work to do. And, and I had to, I had to just go be strong no matter what my life was that I, I couldn't be scared about it. And I had to just, I had to keep on and uh, I'll keep her, her full words to me private, but, but I, I knew what she needed of me and, I've often joked that I came out of that experience a witch because I certainly wasn't one to begin with, but, but I came out of it with a magical mindset. Right. It's like, um, I had felt something that was different than what I had been told reality was. Yeah. And I mean, something at five, it's like, that's, I mean, I feel like there was like, not maybe a claim, but like, that's when it's like, despite, cause I feel in doing some of my own personal work and stuff with Hecate and my, uh, demon familiar, um, is obviously connected with that. I was not a witch before I was interacting with my demon familiar. Um, I did not know about Hecate, um, but these things were just there and it felt like despite what you call yourself, despite what you practice, this thing had been with me a long time probably if you want to say past life or um like the, the the idea i've been talking about lately is like parallel universe lives um alongside it but it's like that was there um previously and whether that's got something to do with like that or um a purpose or some contract you might assigned to come back i don't know how it all works i don't pretend to know but um it's funny because even if you didn't practice or ever call yourself a witch, you would still have that experience. You would still have that connection to deity and you would still have probably the same 
path, so to speak, and purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've gotten into like these these ideas of like um, lately and talked about labels and all this shit that you don't need. And um, that's not to say, you know, that you can't have them. I find which very empowering for me. But, um, you know, it's not, you're still doing the work, whether you call yourself that or not. Um, and I think people can either have that from previous, they can tap into it, they can find it. But like in, in your case, it was kind of like, <laughs> right. Deal with this. This is how it is. Yes. And it's funny too, because my, my birth family definitely understood that something was changed and uh, like, shit, we lost her. I more than once got dragged to the front of the church for like a laying on hands or something where I was like accused of having the spirit of witchcraft about me. You know where I live, you know exactly what cult I was a part of. You can put that together. It's not hard. Um, But uh, yeah, it made life really tough for me. And it was definitely not until I ran away from home, you know, 17, 18 that I, I, started figuring myself out and developing sort of a personal solitary practice. And I was late into my twenties before I started seeking in British traditional craft. And, you know, to answer the question you asked a long time ago, I, you know, I've just been trying to listen to what the messages I was given were and follow that path. You know, I've I've known that my work was going to be with death since I was very small and, uh, I've done mediumship here and there, just really, once again, I don't love that word. It doesn't really define me very well, but um, helping people where I can. And even if it's weird shit, like walking up to someone in the grocery store on the cereal aisle, like, hey, your dad really wants you to know he left those keys in a coat pocket. It's green, (laughs) you know, that kind of junk. And um, volunteering for hospice for years and years and, then clergy work with with funeral and the the message was pretty clear when it was time to go to mortuary school so i've just i've just been listening you know yeah it's like a a lifelong career of of death but you know that's another thing too with um whether you want to call them dark goddesses in the um which i do but maybe not in the sense people think um but you know when you work with them it's like you know it's it's not going to be um like a fun and rosy time. It's it's a very complicated and um, and hard um, path. And I know we don't have the same paths, but the um, being asked of things and and to feel like you are being asked this and your surrounding does not match it. You know, it's like a it's a standing out. I mean, when for example, when people when I tell them my story with Ava and my demon familiar and they're kind of like, Oh my gosh, you know what I wouldn't give to have that like communication. It's like, do you know how like torturous it was to think I had like, um, disassociative identity disorder, um, schizophrenia, um, doctors. And, um, I mean, I was super young and I was like, well, maybe I'm transgender because there's this female voice that will not leave me alone. And at the time it was like, I, all I knew was Christianity. So it's like this thing said, I'm a demon <laughs> and I'm like, oh God, I'm possessed. And I mean, just like maddening. And of course it, it, it came a long way, but it was almost like this, it was very intent and not in a harmful way because it saved me. I mean, I would not be here if I didn't have uh, her kind of 
giving me a drive when I didn't have any, but it was almost like, no, you're not getting away from this. And, you know, now it's a, it's a, it's a source of like, I mean, it's such a bond and it's like a, a soulmate kind of thing. And, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's something to be proud of and thankful for, but that doesn't mean it was easy. And that doesn't mean it was a blessing. Um, it was, yeah, it's, it's rough. And I, I know that's a different kind of parallel, but what I came to, to find was it was Hecate kind of imparting that this was happening and was going to happen years and years before I even knew her or met her or worked with witchcraft. And then when I started working with Hecate, she was pulled away and that was a whole other thing. So, I mean, in the last several years, of course, it's been kind of like calm and learning how to work with that witch familiar dynamic, but, um, it just, it was there and it wasn't by my choice. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's kind of what it's like working with Hecate. I feel like, and probably the Morgan and others as well. It's kind of like, this is a purpose and it's, it's for something good. And I mean, I've done, I won't say, you know, death work, but on behalf of, I had a, uh, my adopted father who was sick and dying, um, around a Hecate's night. I remember, and I, we were estranged. It was hard. And it was like, um, when I heard he passed, you know, it was, I took a moment to kind of say, yeah, but like, what can I do with that connection and my connections with this? Like, you know, he lived a troubled life. Um, our relationship was troubled. Um, and it's just like, but it felt like a responsibility for him. Um, and for me, maybe that was partly closure. I don't know, but, um, it's shit that it just didn't feel like, well, it doesn't matter if you want to do it, like, you know, do it. This, it was like that, you know, that call, I guess. Um, so it's not easy. It's not necessarily glamorous, um, but I think it's necessary. I think what you do is necessary. Um, the book sounds very necessary for so many um, practice practitioners and not, and, and all that. So um, I'm excited that it exists um, and that, uh, you had the uh, call to <laughs> do something like that. It's it's so funny too because I I just I didn't mean to be writing a book. I'm not an author. I didn't mean to be blogging on Patheos. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not so. I'm not so special or interesting, really, truly. But um, yeah, it's sometimes it's just about listening and you know being being at Mystic South and. You know, Llewellyn was there taking pitches and had, I, I didn't have people walking in with like reams of paper and they've got chapters and they're all prepared and they've got pitches and speeches and whatever. And, and I literally didn't even mean to be walking into that room and did and said words for a minute. And before I knew it, I was writing this book. And <laughs> Yeah. It's like a something channel. It's like, just push you in there past the line of, you know, I followed a pretty girl with a clipboard in there. <laughs> They'll get you. <laughs> but no, it's, it's just sort of listening to these messages you're getting and just following and letting your, your spirit be tugged in whatever direction it has to go. That takes, that takes a lot of trust. And you were talking about not being sure if you had, you know, some sort of, uh, hallucination or something like that i i too had that experience i mean we always we have to be skeptical of, of experiences magical experiences paranormal experiences mm -hmm. because otherwise we're just 
fallen down the rabbit hole of yeah right it's bad it's bad question everything people it's good for yes i i'd been in therapy for years before i finally told my therapist about those experiences because i had zero trust in in even myself i just knew i was sick that i was going to be on pills before the day was over like it was going to be terrible and uh Luckily, I had a really great therapist who, though not a magical thinker herself, uh, was willing to listen to what I had to say. And uh, on the day that I told her everything, uh, she sits there, she listens quietly, she takes notes, whatever. She's taking a lot of notes. <laughs> a lot of notes. Oh, no. <laughs> she's just <laughs> a lot of jotting happening over there. I'm really concerned about that. And uh, when I was done, she she changes her you know how people readjust themselves they're about to tell you something i was like hang on before before you pull out your prescription pad may i will you indulge me one small thing she was like yeah sure i was like i'd really like to talk to you about your grandmother who's been in every session that i've had with you and she listened quietly while i told her what they had to say what they looked like and what their life had been and how they had spoken to me all that time. And by the end, she was crying. She tore that page out of her legal pad, threw it in the trash can and said, I don't think that needs to go in your file. Oh, wow. <laughs> Cause she was about to make a phone call probably like. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've joked at times that I'm like the only therapist sanctioned medium. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> in rutherford county at least yeah and you'll never know because that didn't go into my permanent record um but yeah that's um i can't imagine what it was like for somebody like that to um maybe have this preconceived and, and i'm not saying that that doesn't exist and she's not a great therapist because i think too many times people throw um especially when when you're talking about paranormal and witchcraft there's it's hard sometimes mental illness is is kind of thrown out with oh it's like you need to do shadow work or you need to do this and you need to do that or it could be oh you know you're not there's nothing wrong with you blah blah, blah. and um i feel like there's a fine line i mean between uh friends i have between myself it's like okay then why i'm just doing this for attention this thing's obviously like right. talking to me and then it's kind of like but it's not stop talking this entire time like that i'm telling myself and making it up it's like yeah 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 okay isn't like imposter syndrome great where you can just sit there and be like i have this is a mental illness in collection with the other ones i have because mm. i'm fucked up i have depression i like i have ptsd and i've got problems and i go to therapy and all of that is good and fine and wonderful um and there's literally no shame in saying I have things about me that I have to work on and there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with having mental illnesses and they're real and take yeah. your medication. People a walk in the woods is not enough. <laughs> Shadow um, work is not going to fix your depression. Yeah. But, sleeping uh, with quartz is not going to help you. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're not experiencing things too, but at the same time, yeah, it's not. Uh, and that's what I think is for me was um, kind of one of those things where even now I've, I've seen, heard, sent, other people have seen, spoken with, channeled. I mean, it's as far as you could measure it in a personal experience and and others around you. And I still will be like, did I make this bitch up? 
does she really exist? Oh even though like she's done it. And I, I mean, that's the same thing where it's like, I don't even need to have a podcast because what do I know about witchcraft? Um, I, it's only been like 11 years. What do I know about Hecate? And I mean, it's never enough to say I know things because I don't, it's an ongoing thing. But um, then when I started doing the more investigating, like more seriously, I was like, oh my God, I'm just like, I feel like I'm so new to this and nobody's going to take me serious. It's like, but I've been doing this since my 20, like my early 20s, like, even if it was just enough, right? Right. And it's like, okay, now I get to have imposter syndrome on, you know, my mental state and uh, witchcraft and and paranormal experience and um, research and all that. But, um, you know, I feel like that's always going to be going to be there. Um, Sometimes you just have to go with it and trust it. Um, So the fact that you ended up like writing a book and like not, you know, planning on it, it's kind of like, you know, it is what it is. It's out there now. Right. And And I use that. I mean, God, that's the motivational speech, right? If I can write a book, people, literally anyone can do it. If Llewellyn will publish my book and write me editor notes, like, could you reel back on how many times you said fuck? That was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> you can be a published author just to write words down. You can, you can right. do it. Yeah. And they're like, well, I mean, we're just doing this because you're, you kind of scared us. No. <laughs> I know how you are at cons, but no. Um, there are really wonderful people there, truly. It's, no, um, well, it's great, and I, I'm just so delighted to be working with them, and they've been so good to me. <laughs> right, and um, and real quick, the other funny thing is like after we scheduled this, um, because I, you know, there's so many synchronicities that happen. Um, I remember connecting with you on Twitter, and I wasn't even aware that you were writing a book, and I was like, oh yeah, I would love to have you on, and we definitely need to talk about this, and. Um, the podcast went through changes and then it ended up being guest driven. And I was like, let me collect all these people that have been kind of on hold. And I do not use Twitter much. I try, I try so hard. And I was always like, well, if Trump can do it, but I can't, I can't. I don't don't understand Twitter. uh, I don't really either. And I'm like, but I'm still trying at least for the networking part. And I'm like, you know, I do it with the podcast all the time. People probably think I'm just spam. Like, let me use my personal, like with 20 followers. Um, but uh and meg with witch with me like we had just started with hex files doing the witch with me tv and meg's like do you ever have you do you know more tell us have you talked to more tell us do you want to talk to more tell us she's got a book and i was like yeah actually i was gonna pick a day with her like months ago and then so much stuff happened between then and and then here we are and then um so it's I, you live in my backyard practically like, i know um so yeah and then we're talking and we like know certain people for better or worse um they were like oh yeah uh but no it's it's so cool um doing this and like connecting with people so um but i'm glad that you took the time to have on i think we're like at an hour now so i won't keep you too long um but uh we do want to plug your stuff so um do you have a website obviously the book is this the part where your listeners have to picture me like a pat on the top of a used car? Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> this baby will get you uh, at look least in the underworld. Look how much content we can <laughs> <laughs> I will just say to your listeners, if they're interested in hearing more of, of what I got going on, uh, and for the life of me, I wouldn't know why. Um, you can look up A Crow in the Dead pretty much anywhere and you'll find me or um, mortellus.com because I have a named website like a dork. So <laughs> um, I'll link it all too. It'll make it easy. 
I do have a little shop on there where I sell goods that might be difficult for other practitioners to get a hold of, like actual coffin nails that came from actual coffins. Um, oh, see, I was just talking about how I need to get some of those. So let me head over there before anybody <laughs> uh, else gets them. Uh, corpse water and that kind of stuff, like authentic uh, death goods that might be difficult for you to find. So I, I make those available just because I have access. I, I'm sort of an accidental shop person, but it's there as a resource if you need it. I've got all these bones. Um. <laughs> um, if you need to find a pagan-friendly funeral person in your area, um, I have a group on Facebook where we keep that info. You can find it at a crow in the dead also. So see, I'm real easy to find. I made it super easy for you. Right. Um, <laughs> Terrible sales pitch, right? It's terrible. No, no, that's great because I mean that makes it easy, and I'll I'll put like your link down, um, and at least a a book a book link. Wherever <laughs> wherever you enjoy buying books, you can find it. Um, I hope you'll recommend it to uh, funeral homes and hospitals and your local hospital and libraries. That's that's great. We got to get it in people's hands. That's what's yeah. Important. Spread it. Yeah. Buy two copies. Take one of them, um, and hawk it to your like library or. Uh, for anyone interested, I do have uh, two workshops coming up next month. I'm doing a class on spirit communication and a class on basic necromancy. So if you want to learn some tips and tricks and stuff. Let's see, this will come out the 19th. So is that still good for? Oh, yeah. Um, um, spirit communication class is on April 10th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the necromantic practice workshop is on April 24th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's a week before my birthday. So come say hi, bring cake, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, and this will be out in time for all that. So um, it'll be fun. Um, I always, uh, for your listeners, I always like to tell people, I feel like knowledge belongs to everyone. So if those workshops are something you're interested in, or there's a service or good on my website that you need and you have a financial barrier, please just reach out to me privately at acrowandthedead at gmail.com and I will make sure you get that at no cost. I love that because that's such a good, you know, that's such a good offer for- um, Hey, for we're, all just, we're all just people doing the best we can. So. Yeah. And that's the other thing too, is like, you know, you're, you're obviously not, you're making money off a book, maybe. I mean, authors don't make money, um, let's be honest but it's more about the passion and having it out there. So um, yeah, spread the word if you're listening and you know somebody that could use this or um, yeah, I feel like it needs to be a standard. I think I, I think I heard that the average author makes like $2,700 on a book. I've seen zero pennies. It'll be a long time before I see any sort of royalties. I'm not worried about that, um, but I'm also not rich. So if you're listening and you want to support someone who can't afford to take a workshop, there are links to that on my FAQ on my website, as well as my Pathios blog. And thank you for having me today. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, we'll have to, um, you know, when there's no pandemic, we'll have to go check out the uh, hospital, you know, the um, <laughs> the, the local uh, hospital and um, different things. As we even talked about, oh, when we, you know, we go out and we might need a, um, not a medium, but, um, you know. <laughs> Somebody a little bit dead. <laughs> right. We need to, you know, someone that's slightly dead for this, um, for like hex files and the investigations and stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll have to hang out whenever um, there's not COVID. So thanks so much for coming on and we'll talk to you later. Thanks. I, I look forward to coming back one day soon. 
Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thank you.